0: My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do that at some point. Maybe tonight, if you're newer to the church, we'd love to have you come to Park in 110 tonight and join us at 6 p.m. for that. There's like 20 people signed up, so come and join other new people and learn about the church. We're going to continue our sermon series on the idea of authenticity this morning. Authenticity, what it means for us to walk with Jesus in an authentic, life-giving, real, genuine way. And to do that, I want to read Romans chapter 12, And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 as kind of our guide for authenticity, and we'll pull in a few other verses as we go. But I want to have you stand and follow along as I read Romans chapter 12 to get us started. Romans chapter 12, it's on page 947 in the Pew Bible. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord Jesus, even as we sang this morning, I pray that you would speak to us as we look at your word. Lord, would you till the the hard ground of our hearts? Would you soften our hearts and our minds? Would you open up our ears? Lord, would you speak through the noise and the clutter and the chaos, the distractions, and would you speak the truth louder than the lie? Lord, I pray that you would cause the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth this morning to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and for this church family as we desire to walk with you and to hear from you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. As we continue this morning, we're primarily going to be looking at this passage, so keep your hand in Romans chapter 12 as we look at essential ingredients for authenticity. In the month of September, we looked at intimacy and talked about different ingredients that help to build intimacy. In the month of October, we're looking at authenticity, and and today we're looking at different ingredients. There's a hundred different ingredients that we could have, right? There's many different scriptures, many different places to go to, to talk about what is essential for true authenticity, and this morning we're looking at chapter 12, just getting some of the essentials. It, and it's essential that we have certain ingredients if we want to have a certain production, right? If we want to see something come to being, right? It's, a, it's impossible for you to enjoy a steak without a steak, right? It's an essential ingredient. And like a shiitake mushroom steak doesn't count. That does not pass it. That is like fake. That is hypocrisy, right? Authenticity is truth. It's what, what I am given and what, I am, what am I what, what I am giving out, who I am being and how I'm being perceived, they're matching up. Last week, I defined authenticity more. So if you missed that sermon, go back and take a look at that. It, it's essentially just what is going on inside is matching what is coming out of us. That's authenticity. For any person, whether you're a Christian or not, and then as a Christian, authenticity is the transformation that God is doing internally is being made visible externally, there's a closing gap of hypocrisy, and there's more authenticity, there's more genuineness coming out. And so today, as we look at Romans chapter 12, to look at some ingredients for authenticity, I want to start with this, this first ingredient, really, is just cherishing the glory and trusting the mercy of God. Cherishing the glory and trusting the mercy of God. See, here's one of the interesting things. In a sermon series like this, generally at Park, we take books of the Bible and we kind of work through them so you get the whole flow of the book. This fall, we're not doing that. We're kind of cherry-picking different passages. And so this morning, I cherry-picked Romans chapter 12. How many chapters come before Romans chapter 12? 11. Thank you. We have a math whiz out here. 11 chapters that we have not talked about as a church. And so it is kind of weird to just jump into this chapter, right, and start looking at it. And so I just want to remind you that the first 11 chapters of Romans, the whole context leading up to where we are, what it's about. It's about cherishing the glory of God and trusting the mercy of God. Or you could change the word mercy even to grace or to compassion or to kindness. This entire book is about the church, the people of God, learning to cherish God's glory, His surpassing worth and greatness, and then also trusting His love for us, His mercy and His grace. And and it's important to keep that in mind because look at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Some of your Bible translations, therefore is the first word in Romans chapter 1. And those of you who are newer to the Bible, anytime you see the word therefore, you should figure out what it's there for. Right? Right? Some of you have heard that a hundred times, you're like, I'm so sick of that joke, I get it, I know, I'm sorry to make it. But others of you are newer to the Bible. And when you see the word therefore, it's an indicator that the things that come before that are really important for the point that is about to be made. And so when we jump into Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it says therefore, we have to pause and say, what is the therefore? And I don't have time to summarize the first 11 well I, I have time to summarize the first 11 chapters, I don't have time to go through the first 11 chapters. And to summarize it for you, it's all about cherishing the glory and trusting the mercy of God. Let me give you a few verses. Oftentimes this is, uh, some of you have heard of the Romans Road. It's like an evangelism track going through the book of Romans. Some of these verses are from that. Um, some of them are just verses that are really important for us to kind of capture the theme of Romans as we come into chapter 12. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Keep in mind the glory of God. We need to cherish His glory, His worth, His otherness. And all, all of us, we have sinned and fallen short of His glory. But we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 8 God shows his love for us so that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you, do you trust that? The mercy, the goodness, the grace, the love of God. Not that he died for you because you were cleaning yourselves up and bettering yourself and, 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 and learning to live your life the way that he wants you to live your life. But while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is so loud in our culture. And probably in your own voice, in your own heart. And think about cancel culture. We do that to ourselves. Other people do it to us. We, we condemn ourselves because we keep dealing with the same pattern of sin or we feel the condemnation of other people because we don't quite fit into their, their expectations of what it looks like to be holy or we experience the condemnation of the enemy. And the Bible teaches that the devil is an accuser. And here's what it teaches about God and the people of God who are in Christ. Romans 8, one. there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's a foundational ingredient for us growing in authenticity with God is knowing that if we're in him, there's no condemnation. There, there may be and there will be correction along the path, but there's not condemnation. And then Romans 8, 31 through 39, this is really essential for us growing in authenticity. And I'll just summarize it with this. Paul essentially asks the question, What can separate us from the love of God? And he answers it with nothing. Nothing. If you're in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So the, the whole thrust of Romans chapter 1 through 11, and I would say the whole thrust of the Bible, is for us to understand the glory, the worth, the majesty of God, and then. His mercy, grace, and love for us. His covenant keeping with us, His people. That's the entire story of the Bible. And it's Romans 1 through 11, which leads us into Romans 12. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, says, God's love has nothing to do with your behavior. Neither your faithlessness nor your faithfulness alters divine divine love. Like the father's love in the parable of the prodigal son, Divine love is absolutely unconditional, unlimited, and unimaginably extravagant. Isn't that good news for us this morning? Divine love is not altered by your faithfulness. That doesn't mean God loves you more when you're doing well. Nor is it altered by your faithlessness. God loves you less when you're not doing well. Now, in the parable of the prodigal son, like in order for the prodigal son to receive the gracious, loving, forgiving merciful love of his father, he had to return and come back home, right? But the father's love for that son didn't change at all based off of his poor decisions and his running. He was there, ready, willing to open up his arms, embrace his son, and shower him with love. This is essential for you and I to, to understand and to grasp and to grow in if we want to authentically walk with God. We have to remember that, that God is worthy. He is other. He is holy we need to cherish who he is as we learn who he is and experience who he is but then we also have to trust his heart of mercy and goodness and kindness and grace leads to the second ingredient which isn't in Romans 12 I promise we're going to get into Romans 12 and kind of dig apart this passage but the second ingredient which I can't skip over is confession and repentance I talked about this more last week so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here but it's, it's so essential that you and I keep in mind, as we desire to grow in authenticity with God and other people, that confession and repentance are key. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Last week, in and, and kind of giving us the foundation and the invitation to authenticity, I, I, I said that I, I fear sometimes we're good at suppressing our sin and not so much at confessing our sin. And we see a lot of evidence of sin suppression in church communities and just in communities in general and this passage is inviting us into a deeper level of confession. And it's not just the surface level of confession, which we're going to talk about as we go this morning. Authenticity requires deep soul work that produces real, scary, vulnerable confession. It's not just like when you join the little small group and it's prayer time. And, and I'm not saying you should confess everything in every setting, right? But we all know the experience. You join a small group or you're in a little accountability group, right? And it's like, Hey, what do you guys need prayer for? How are you falling short? Uh, I, I'm struggling with my devotional life. Okay, we'll pray for that. Really? That's the worst thing you got going on. Come on. And so I think we're good at suppressing. And I'm going to give you some example of this as we go. But just to keep in mind that these essential ingredients, as we pick up momentum this morning talking about authenticity, that confession is key. And confession is removing the mask. It's admitting what's really going on below the surface. And it's absolutely essential for authenticity. If, if we don't learn what's going on below the surface and start to reveal it and start to bring it into the light, bringing the darkness into the light, we grow in hypocrisy and fakeness, image management and sin management. So we need to grow in confession. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance is trusting the kindness and mercy of God and then aligning with his word, his will, and his ways. Repentance is saying what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm acting upon, what I'm believing is destructive and wrong and I want to turn from that and I want to believe truth. I want to live truth. I want to accept truth. It's the act of confessing what's really going on and then saying I, I, I want to change my ways. I want to change my beliefs. So these two go hand in hand and I think it's important for us to keep in mind that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Sometimes in his kindness, he corrects, he confronts, he challenges. I think oftentimes in the church world, though, we we, we think of like, I can't tell you how many times I've met with people who are struggling with a sin pattern, and this has happened a handful of times. They've confessed to me their their sin problem, and I'm like, thanks for sharing. And then I just kind of sit with it, and I'm like, you know God loves you and he's for you and his grace has been extended to you in Jesus, right? And they're like, I know, but you can get mad at me. Like, are you mad that I did that? I'm like, oh, God's for you. He loves you. And, and I've been on the receiving end of that too and it's so frustrating. You're like, I did wrong, discipline me. And, and sometimes, yes, there's correction, there's Discipline but the Bible also teaches us that it's God's kindness, his grace, which fosters trust and allows us to actually grow through our dysfunction and our sin. And it's fascinating to me that I I remember just challenging somebody who was like, challenge me. I just confessed my sin to you and you're not challenging me. I'm like, yeah, here's the challenge. Believe the gospel. Believe that God loves you and that he's for you. And we don't like that. That's the scandal of grace. That's the scandal of the gospel. We're like, no, I deserve to say ten Hail Marys. Is that a thing that you do? Catholic Church? I think so. Hail Mary. I, don't, I didn't grow up Catholic. But we all have our own forms, right, of trying to clean ourselves up and come to God. Because true confession and repentance and the receiving of God's grace and his kindness, which actually leads us into repentance, is counter-cultural and it's counter-religious cultural. It, it doesn't fit within religion. Does it fit within, within what we want in our souls? Like, we are hardwired for, for um, t- to, we're hardwired for, like, allowance, right? We even grow up with allowance. You do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. You don't do this, you don't get that. You don't do this, you don't get that. And so when we get grace and kindness from God, it's unnatural. Again, David Benner in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, says, every time I dare to meet God in the vulnerability of my sin and shame, my knowing of God is strengthened. Every time I fall back into a self-improvement mode and try to bring God my best self, it is weakened. Oh, church family, how, how true that is. That your heavenly father, he knows your prodigal ways. And, and the way to grow in receiving his grace and the way to grow in authenticity is not to suppress your sin or cover your sin or deal with your sin at the surface level, but it's to meet God in Vulnerability in shame. You feel shame because you keep doing that same thing over and over and over again, and God must be disappointed with me, therefore I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna distance myself from him. Or you feel shame because of something that was done to you, and you're deeply broken some way, and, it, and it's clouded the way that you think, and that you process life, and, and, and you distance other people in God, and What we're reminded here is that confession and repentance is coming near to God in the vulnerability of our sin and shame, and it's in that place that you experience the love of God. You don't just talk about the love of God and experience it with head knowledge. You experience it in forgiveness and in grace. These are essential components, essential ingredients for authenticity. Now let's jump back into Romans chapter 12. The next ingredient here is sacrifice and transformation of the inner life through renewal of the mind. Sacrifice and transformation of the inner life through renewal of the mind. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Okay, if we did a little bit of work on the therefore. We have some context for chapter 12. By the mercies of God, and again, even that's why I say cherishing the glory of God and trusting the mercies of God. This is what we do. In Romans chapter 12, there, there is something to do, and it starts with trusting God's mercy. So now that we have that set up, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So some of you have probably memorized this passage. You've learned this passage. as a way to, like, beat sin out of you. Some of you probably haven't been exposed to this passage. You have no idea what it means. Others of you have heard good interpretations and harmful interpretations. I don't, I don't really know. I want to spend a little bit of time considering this passage. As we think about transformation, as we think about authenticity. Oftentimes, we read this and, and maybe this is just me. Maybe this is the way that I've interpreted or that I've misinterpreted how I've been taught it, but I feel that the em- that the the emphasis or the work is on me to present my body as a sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. God is holy, he is perfect, he is worthy. Therefore, (laughs) I need to present myself to him as holy, worthy, and acceptable. This is my spiritual act of worship, right? But it doesn't work. I can't do it. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice doesn't mean cleaning ourselves up and presenting the best version of ourselves to God. It means throwing ourselves upon the altar of God's mercy. That's what it means. To, to be a living sacrifice means that I'm actually throwing myself upon the altar of God's mercy. A sacrifice is an acknowledgement of neediness, not an offering of cleanliness. And this is the biblical story. In the Old Testament, they would have sacrifice and they would, they would look for the, the best lamb, the best goat, the best bowl, the best fruit, the best produce to bring to God as a sacrifice. And so there was this idea of bringing something clean before God because that's an acceptable worship. But if you know the biblical storyline, it didn't work. That's why Jesus the Holy Son of God, the perfect and acceptable living sacrifice, had to be slain in our place, on our behalf, because all of the presenting of the people of God to God, trying to do it themselves, bringing their best offering, still kept them broken and distanced from God. And so Paul's appeal here is that we would bring ourselves to God as a sacrifice, throwing ourselves upon the The altar of God's mercy, not cleaning ourselves up, expecting that we'll get God's mercy after we present ourselves in a better light. It's a a backwards way to interpret this passage. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a really great passage, but again, it can be really poorly applied. There's this quote that I've heard a lot lately that thoughts drive feelings which drive behaviors. Thoughts drive feelings which drive behaviors. It's from every good therapist ever. This is cognitive behavioral therapy. You'll you'll hear about it in blogs and, and books, and if you've ever met with a therapist or a counselor, hopefully this is their, their aim to expose your thoughts, not to just deal with your behaviors. And when we read this passage here, do not be conformed to this world. Sometimes in the Christian world, we try to just change our behaviors so that we conform more to godly ideas and and acting rather than worldly ideas and acting. And that's a good result, but that's not how you get deep change. You don't get deep change by by conforming to a different way of life. You get deep change by, by understanding your thoughts, which drive your feelings, which drive your behaviors. That's what Paul is getting at here. Do not be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewal of your mind now in the biblical worldview the mind and the heart were were similar they weren't disconnected it wasn't like the mind is for rational thinking and the heart is for emotion and there's a time and a place for emotion but keep it under wraps and make sure you're thinking no they they were intermixed they were messy it was this combo of why david can say in the psalms god slay my enemies god i love you god forgive them god where are you god you're so near Right? That's the Psalms. Read the Psalms. They will wreck you. David is bipolar for the Lord. He's all over the map. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's, that's, that's more true of us. Some of us have learned to be really good at suppression, really good at calm, really good at dealing with things on the surface, but deep down, there's something going on that needs to be uncovered, that needs to be exposed, that needs to be confessed and, and repented of. Thoughts drive feelings, which drive behaviors. I think too often our religious teachings and our systems work to change our behaviors. And, or they work to suppress our feelings without addressing the thought pattern. And sometimes we address, uh, some people like more of the theological heady type of people are like, no, I always talk about the truth. Well, sometimes we meet in an emotion with the theological fact or a Bible verse without understanding the emotion, right? We actually don't deal with the person's thought. We just subscribe a Bible verse to the thought, or to the feeling without understanding the thought. I want to explain this to you and show this to you with an example. But before I do, for those of you who are like, well, so now you're just quoting therapists, cognitive behavioral therapists? Yeah. All truth is God's truth, whether it comes from a Christian source or not. If it's a, a real right thing that brings healing and hope. It comes from God. And you'll be able to find that line of thinking or that substance in God's word. So listen to what Jesus says. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says this in Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 12. Isn't that exactly what these therapists are saying? That that out of something internal whatever is going on inside of you, that, that's where your behavior is coming from. That's what Jesus said. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's essential for you and I, if we want to grow in authenticity, that, that we understand sacrifice, it's throwing up myself upon the altar of God's mercy, but then also transformation. It's a transformation of the inner life through renewal of the mind. And again, the mind isn't just rational thinking. It's the mind, the heart, the emotions. It's It's digging down to truth, and we have to get to the point of, am I believing truth, or am I believing a lie? And like I said, far too often, I think in in our church culture and context, we do behavior modification rather than deep soul transformation. And oh, church family, how I need that to change in me, and how I want it to change in our culture. I do not want a church where all we care about is behavior modification, and everyone's living a little bit differently on the surface, but internally they're suffer- suffering and struggling and doubting. I want deep soul transformation. So let me give you a personal example of, of how I discovered this. And in the, in the realm of vulnerability, here we go, right? This is about authenticity. You're going to get to know me a little bit more. I grew up in a religious environment where swearing was wrong. Don't swear. Don't drink Swear, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, or boys, right? Like the, the, these these external markers of what sin is and what holiness is. And so I grew up in a religious environment that, that taught me not to swear. And so, okay, I didn't for years. And I'm, I'm going to, this is not a justification for swearing, okay? Those of you who are still like, well, you shouldn't drink, or smoke, or chew, or go with girls or boys who do. Just stick with me for a minute. So for years, I didn't, swear. I didn't use cuss words and I felt really proud about that. Really self-righteous. There were some other Christians who would swear and I always judge them. I'm like, what's wrong with your heart? How can you say a word like that and claim to be a Christian? Well, about a year ago, while I was on sabbatical doing some deep soul work, I was, I, this happened a, a few times unfortunately, but I'm thinking of one example, I was sitting with some friends and we were talking about some deep things of life and an unexpected swear came out of my mouth, and I spent years not swearing, and this came out of my mouth, and it surprised me, and it surprised my friends, and I, and I think all of our knee-jerk reaction was, and one of, one of these friends swears all the time, so he didn't have a problem with the swearing, but he, but he was like, that's weird for you, and, and so our first instinct was to address the behavior of cussing or swearing, and, and then suppress the feeling of anger, like, don't be angry, don't swear, don't, don't do that, right? Here's the behavior, I see it, stop. However, in this, in this time, we, we kept digging and, and trying to keep in mind what we hear from these therapists and from Jesus out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's going on in my heart? Trying to keep in mind the thought that, that thoughts drive feelings which drive behaviors, and so I want to show you an exercise, exercise that I've been doing that I learned from somebody else that kind of helps us to work through this. And so uh, here's the exercise. It's, it's called fruit to root, right? So if you think about a tree, there's, there's our behaviors, which is the fruit, right? It could be swearing. It could be judgmentalism. It could be being critical. It could be addiction. It could, whatever it is, there's a 100 different fruits in our lives, some good, some not so good, right? So fr- a behavior, it's a fruit, It comes from a feeling, something that we're feeling, which results from something that we're thinking. But I think as Christians, we have to go a little bit deeper still and talk about beliefs. What are we believing underneath what we're thinking? And so this is kind of that cognitive behavioral theory thing in mind with with scripture. And then also keep in mind what Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me give you this example. So behavior, my behavior was, I swore, an unexpected swear. Where'd that come from? I could just stop swearing. Or, what we did, what are you feeling? What caused you to say that word? It was anger and rejection. That's what, as I, as I thought this through, the, the behavior of swearing came from a feeling that I had of anger and rejection. And so then the question is, well, why are you angry, and why do you feel rejected? Below that was this thought, God and others are disappointed in me. I'm not loved unless I do more or better. Hmm. It's interesting slash destructive thought. And please hear me. I'm not making a justification for swearing. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what's going on, right? Let's get a little bit deeper. And so then what's the belief underneath that thought? Grace and unconditional love are Myths. Therefore, I better prove myself and earn the love of God and others. And that is what needs to be discovered, more so than just addressing the surface level level issue of my word. And so, church family, I think part of what we need to do in this, this idea transformation of the renewal of our mind is to dig deeper. You have the same addiction. Why? Why do you keep going back to that thing? It's not just stop doing that. It's why are you doing that in the first place? What are you believing underneath that? Where are your areas of brokenness and wounding? And it, Oh, that's interesting. And, and, and I hope we all see and feel that that root that caused me to say a cuss word is a much bigger problem than a cuss word, right? I had to repent of my lack of unbelief that God actually isn't gracious and doesn't love me unconditionally but God only loves me if I do better or more or if I prove it like that is a, that is a much bigger issue for the state of my soul and this inward transformation of the heart and the mind it will lead to outward transformation or to non-conformity to the world and to conformity to Christ like like Paul is saying here do not be conformed to this world so whatever your image of being conformed to the world or being conformed to Jesus is, if you want to actually get there, it has to start with this internal heart work where God is transforming us inwardly. Those of you who think swearing is a problem, the only way to not swear is to do the heart well. Some of you are just disciplined enough you cannot do it, but, but your, your heart issues are going to come out in other ways. Right? and so, But if swearing is an issue, is a problem, the only way you're going to address it is by drilling down deeper and doing the heart-soul work. If it's something else for you, addiction, criticism, judgmentalism, insecurity, doubt, whatever it is, start asking those questions. What am I feeling when this happens? Why am I feeling that way? What am I believing about God or myself or other people that is causing me to to think and to feel and to act in that way? And that's where transformation comes from. That's what Paul is drilling down into here. He's not saying just put on a face and try harder and be more religious. And so, church family, I want to invite you with me on this journey. It's scary. It's revealing. Isn't it much better to have just to think that your pastor doesn't swear if you're a person who doesn't like swearing. But if you're a person who likes swearing, you're like, awesome, I like this guy. (laughs) See, it's so subjective, right? And some of you are like, that's nothing, I wish you would tell me more. Well, I'm not going to tell you more, I'll tell other people more, not you. Right, it's so subjective, And so you and I, we need to enter into this journey together where we're taking off the mask, where we're trusting, where we're cherishing the glory of God and trusting his mercy. We're building trust with one another and we're able to know one another deeply and know God. Now to finish up this chapter, there's there's one more bullet point of ingredients here as we finish up the chapter. It is sober self-assessment, spiritual gifts alignment, and spiritual fruit development. So, as we think about becoming authentic, Paul gives us some, some more ingredients here in this passage. Verses 3 through 5 talk about a sober self assessment. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is an appeal for us. To walk in authenticity, we have to have an honest, sober self-assessment. Oftentimes, when we see the word sober in the Bible or sober-minded, we instantly think about not being drunk. There's a hundred different ways to not be sober. You could not be sober because you look at too much social media. You could not be sober because you watch too many sports. You could not be sober because you listen to too much news. You could not be sober because you listen to too many podcasts. You could not be sober because, right, whatever it is. You could not be sober. You might not have sober judgment about the world because you're being influenced by things that maybe have a glimmer of truth but a bunch of lies or over-exaggerations. Or you could not have sober judgment. The point here that Paul is making is about ourselves. We actually have, a, have to have a sober self-assessment. Who am I? How has God wired me? So, to live in authenticity means it's not a carbon, Christian, carbon copy Christianity where our life looks like everybody else's life. It's like, oh, if I'm an expressive person, I need to figure out how to live my authentic faith for Jesus as an expressive person. If I'm a non-expressive Scandinavian, I need to figure out how to be a non-expressive... Actually, there are some expressive Scandinavians too. Sometimes those stereotypes aren't super helpful, right? We have to figure out what what does it look like for, who am I? How has God wired me? What is my honest self-assessment? And it comes with humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have an honest, sober assessment of who you are. And then this bleeds into an honest assessment of how God has gifted you. And then you align God's spiritual gifts with the needs of his body. Look at verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Start with that, having gifts that differ. That means some of you will like administration more than others. That means some of you will like leadership more than others. That means some of you will care more about mercy and compassion, like, the, like giving people who are struggling with real things in life, giving them real meaningful help. I means some of you will care more about that than other people. Some of you will care more about teaching and some of you don't care about teaching at all. You just want to go hit the streets and build relationships. This is good. Authenticity requires us keeping in mind that these gifts differ, as it says in verse 6, having gifts that differ in accordance to the grace given us and then let us use them. So if we want to walk in authenticity, we have to figure out what are our gifts? How has God wired me? And then how do I use them for the glory of God, the good of my church, and the advancement of the gospel? And he gives us some examples. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's the news. None of you can be all those things. Amen? You don't have to be. And authenticity requires us understanding and getting to know who we are, how God has wired us, how God has gifted us, and then it's using that for the glory of God and the church community. And this, this means that how God has gifted us, we, we ought to be operating out, out of how God has gifted us more so than out of guilt, right? So when Linda stands up here and says, we need a few people on the connections team, if you're like, I'm a huge introvert and I don't smile very often, Maybe you shouldn't be on the connection team, and that's fine. Maybe that's God's sanctification plan for you, and maybe you should be. But, right? Some of you have the gift of serving. You're the people who do all the things. Keep doing that. I'm not that person. If you catch me, I'm not that Doesn't that sound terrible to say? My pastor's not a servant. If you, I, I will, if it's required, I will go down into the kitchen and cut bagels if that's what the church needs but I will shrivel up and die inside. (laughs) And and so God, I think, to be authentic and to to be a healthy community, it means we're all kind of finding the thing that we're more gifted at, and we're spending the majority of our time there serving the body in those areas. And we're all different, and this is good. And then the last point here is spiritual fruit development. And so part of our authenticity, it's, it's understanding our spiritual gift and bringing that in alignment with God, but then also it's the character development. It's, it's the spiritual fruit, right? The Bible in the New Testament particularly, talks about spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. Next week we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 which talks about spiritual fruit. This is a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of, it's a, it's a character change. And so as we're transformed from the inside out, as we grow in authenticity, there's this transformation of what we do but also how we do it. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what you do. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. An authentic Christian life is one that is increasingly becoming like that. Externally, this is this is, our, our internal thoughts towards others is becoming more genuinely loving and compassionate and. and the way that we deal with others increasingly, the the internal transformation in our soul is being observed by others externally. This is what it means to be authentically whole and Christian. Now, let me ask you, how many of you perfectly check off all of verses 9 through 21? None of us. None of us, because we are in a process. Process of learning what it means to to live as a sacrifice before God and to have our minds and our hearts inwardly transformed so that our external behavior matches the internal work. And so this morning, as we wrap up, I want to point us back to the gospel, that Jesus is the most, most authentic human being and God follower and son of God imaginable. And so we are swept up in him. His righteousness has been given to us. As we close this morning and transition to communion, I just want you to flip a few pages to the left and look at Romans chapter 3. When you're tempted to beat yourself up for not being genuinely loving or when you're tempted to get really proud because you genuinely were loving, keep in mind the gospel call Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Jump down to verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness that at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So as you come to the table this morning, as the band comes up and leads us in some closing songs as we reflect on the gospel, you come to the table being reminded that God put forward as a propitiation by his own blood to be received by faith, his son, Jesus Christ. It's what these elements are here to remind us of, that it's only in Jesus that we become authentically whole, that he has taken up residence in our lives and he is now producing something in us and through us that we could never produce on our own. So this morning, as you take the elements, as you eat the bread, rem- representative of Jesus' body given for you. And as you drink the cup, representing his blood shed for you, like consciously try to, try to contemplate that, that he is in me, the hope of glory, transforming me, making me new. Let me pray, and then you're welcome to visit the stations whenever you feel led and ready. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the perfect righteousness, the spotless lamb, the once and for all sacrifice. Lord, may we come to the table this morning grateful for the authentically whole Christian, holy life that you lived. And then may we receive you as we desire to be transformed by you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.